0: Well, I must say, we're a year older, but you look a year more beautiful. I'm sure the same thing in the venue as well. If we haven't yet met, my name's Adrian. I'd love to connect with you after the service. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it's a joy to be with you here as we begin 2018. We'll jump into this morning's message in just a moment, but before we do, I wanted to give A quick announcement, and uh, perhaps the best way to do it is by way of a little survey. There is no right or wrong answer to this question that I'm going to ask, but in the venue and here in the auditorium, would you raise your hand on what is your preferred Bible version? Is your preferred Bible version, there's no right or wrong, is it New Living Translation? Raise your hand. Okay. Number in here. I'm sure in the venue as well. How about um, the English Standard Version? Raise your hand. Number okay. How about the New American Standard version? Okay, a few. Uh, How about New International version? Oh well, okay, it's most of them in here. Maybe in. How about ancient Greek manuscripts? (laughs) Anyone? Okay, just just one or two. Okay, all right. So when I accepted the call uh, to become uh, lead pastor at Carney E Free back in September of 2015. The Bible version that was used here was ESV, which is a wonderful, wonderful translation of the Bible. Um, My my preferred Bible version and the one that I've been using since I became a Christian some 21 years ago has been the NIV. And I've uh, decided not to change that over the past two plus years for a number of different reasons. I I don't want to come in and and bring a lot of change to the church uh, right off the bat. I feel like that's something that's earned over time. But... Uh, I've had a number of conversations with many of you, and a number of conversations with staff and elders and pastors, particularly over the past couple months, and I've just started to feel the need that the time is right to make the change to the NIV. And I, I want to give a few different reasons for that. I, I realize that we all have our different translations that we prefer, and there's an abundance of riches in the English language of very, very good translations including both the ESV and the NIV, but also the others that I just mentioned. But a a few reasons for this include these. Number one, as I noted already, this is my preferred version. And uh, the reason that matters is because I do most of the preaching here, Uh, not all of it, but uh, there's just something to being able to stand up and speak with confidence and not try to translate in your mind from the study that you've done over all the years, as you are preaching to the congregation. And I really believe in being mighty in the Word of God. Like, if I want to be mighty in anything, it's in the Scriptures. And so, for the past 21 years, I've been memorizing this. And uh, many, many, many chapters, books, and thousands of verses. And there's just something about... Being able to articulate from your belly, as Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and not having to translate from one version to another as you're trying to articulate that. that, that that's one reason. A, a second reason that uh, we'd like to make this change now is the NIV currently, re- it, it reflects the way we currently use gender in the English language today. Let me explain this. When the Bible's authors use the word man or brother or he, Are they referring to men only? Of course not, right? We all know that. They're referring to men and women. But language changes with time and with use. And what has happened is in the past 40 or 50 years, language has changed such that kids that were raised in the American school system, public or private, 50 years ago, knew that when someone referred to man, they could be referring to humanity. To men and women. Kids raised in the 21st century don't know that. Unless they're taught that by their church or they're taught that by their parents. And so there are many, many people outside the church particularly, but also increasingly I've noticed in the church, that think when the Bible says brothers or he who comes to me I will in no way ever turn away, think that Jesus is referring to males only. That's a problem. Uh, let me give you one example of how this manifests itself in the Scriptures. Philippians 1.12, for example, listen to this. In the ESV or the NASB, it says something like this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. Okay, brothers. Is Paul writing only to brothers? No, he's writing to brothers and sisters in the Philippian church. But those raised today may not notice that. They haven't been trained to see that. That's why the NIV and the Christian Standard Version, the RSV, and, and others as well have inserted and sisters. So it reads, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So again, the point is language changes over time and with use. Is anyone in here speaking Shakespearean English? No, we're not. It's changed, it's evolved. The last thing we'd ever want to do is unintentionally tell young ladies who may not have been raised in the church that God speaks to boys more than girls. You see? So uh, this is a second important reason. Third, and most importantly, is the NIV is simply more readable for the average Christian, the average young person, and the average spiritual seeker. There's two different kinds of translation. I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but there's two different kinds of translation. There's what you call word-for-word translations, and then there's what you call thought-for-thought translations. And ESV and NASB are wonderful word-for-word translations from the original Greek and Hebrew. The NLT is a wonderful thought-for-thought translation from the Greek and Hebrew. The NIV splits the difference. It seeks to provide both, but at times when grammar construction is such that it's difficult from, to go from an ancient language to a modern language with the same exact grammar then it goes to thought for thought. Does that make sense? The reason uh, it does that is for both clarity and ease of reading, such that the average American, the average, average English speaker of any educational level, and particularly those who are second language learners, Simply understand the NIV a little bit more clearly on a first reading. And in our increasingly biblically illiterate culture, which I will talk about in a moment, we want to do all that we can not to add additional obstacles toward people getting into the Word because they cannot understand the grammatical structure. Does that make sense? I I hope it does. These are a few different reasons that, at least for my preaching... And I think our preaching on Sunday mornings, starting today, I'm, I'm going to use the NIV. And if you have questions about that, you're most welcome to, to ask me. Uh, if there's a lot of questions, perhaps we'll talk about it in some other forum. I don't think the change is much. These are both wonderful versions, and I will continue to use both in my study. In fact, I'd encourage you to use a number of different versions in your study. It helps amplify the, the Scriptures as you go. Uh, l- l- last word on this. Um, if you, uh, if you happen to be in the category of people who bought an ESV Bible because you assume that would be my Bible that I'm preaching from going forward for the next decade or however long the Lord has me here, I hope much longer, um, and you happen to be in that category of people who bought one specifically for that purpose to follow uh, me on Sunday mornings, uh, I don't want to present any economic hardship. And I'll, I'll, I mean this. I will personally buy you another Bible of your choice in the NIV if that's important for you to follow on Sunday morning. The last thing I want to do is present any economic hardship. We'll also have Bibles for free. Um, they're just basic Bibles here on Sunday mornings starting next week in the NIV, but many, many wonderful translations. The last thing I want to do is create any kind of hardship or obstacle, but I hope this actually serves our church by making the Bible more accessible to all people of all educational levels, and uh, particularly those who are above being raised in our contemporary context. Sound good? Okay, I hope I didn't lose you. All right, let's, uh, <laughs> oh, and, and then, you know, if you're, if you're using the version app, you just go up to the very top and you switch from ESV to NIV, and you'll be following the verses I put up on the screen. One reason to use a Bible app instead of the paper, but that's probably the only good reason to use the Bible app instead of paper. More on that another day. All right. <laughs> Let's shift gears (laughs) to today's message. How much time do I have? All right. I wonder if you remember a time sitting on your mother's lap or sitting on your grandmother's lap, and as you sat down as a child on your mother's lap, she began with these words, once upon a time. You remember that? Boy, I tell you, those are some of my most treasured childhood memories, to sit on grandma's lap or mom's lap and to see her open up a book or begin a story from her childhood and say, once upon a time, and then maybe 15, 20 minutes later, she concludes with, and they all lived happily ever after. Don't you love those memories? And we love those memories for a couple different reasons. One, it's with mom, right? But number two, there is something about a great, riveting story that is hard to beat. When you get into a great, riveting story that someone reads to you or tells you, it just has a way of grabbing your attention and holding you in the moment the way almost nothing else can. What we're going to do here in this year's sermon series, this year's sermon series, I'm serious, is navigate through God's great story over the course of 40 weeks. We're gonna take a couple different times to do a couple other mini series that are particularly relevant to us and where we're living right now for about five weeks each. That gets us to about 50 weeks where we're gonna look at God's great story and our story through the lens of His great story. Do you know that the Bible is God's great story? Do you know that? It's it's full of all kinds of small stories along the way that include all of the wonderful elements from the stories that we loved as children. A build-up, and then a conflict, a crisis, a damsel in distress, a hero who comes and he is the victor and rescues. I mean, you think about those different elements in Les Miserables. Or in Star Wars or Roots or the Chronicles of Narnia or whatever your favorites are. You see those elements in great stories. And do you know you see those same elements in the Bible? Think of Abraham and Sarah. You see all of those. In some cases you see both the hero and the villain in the same person. Okay? We'll see individual episodes in God's story that bring us to those great movements of any great story. But in addition, in this series over this year, the most important thing that we'll see is one continuous story of God. It's about God telling of his love for his creation, his love for his people, his dramatic rescue of us who have slipped. It's the ultimate story of God's redemption and hope. Now, we live in a very unique time in American history. Let me speak to it for just a moment, at least as it relates to to the Bible. There's a 2017 survey though that was done of over 3,300 Americans all across the United States that demonstrated 87% of American households own a Bible. Almost 9 out of 10. It's amazing. And yet, the same survey demonstrated that 11% of Americans will ever read through the Bible in their lifetime. From 9 out of 10 to 1 out of 10. That's unique to our current cultural context. The Tonight Show host, Jay Leno, if you're young, you may not remember him. But a few years ago, he's the Tonight Show host. He did this little informal survey of his audience as he's trying to test Bible knowledge. So he asked his audience, well, one night, um, who knows one of the Ten Commandments, just one, any of them? And one woman stood up and she said, God helps those who help themselves. (laughs) And everyone laughed, just as you did. And Leno kind of nodded his head and said, no, that's not one of them. And everyone laughed again. But no one else had another. No one else in the audience raised their hand with one of the Ten Commandments. We live in a time, really the very first time in American history, where Generation Y, that is very young people, and Generation X, basically 18 to 35, are lived in a post-Bible age. Almost a post-Christian age. Certainly in some areas of America, it is a post-Christian age. We live in a time today where people simply do not have handles for what the Bible teaches and how they would understand it for themselves. And this is the very first time In American history that we run into such a day. You got to understand that across American history, the Bible has been seen as essential literature even by those who are not believers. You go back to our founding fathers, for example, who included many wonderful Christians and also many wonderful people who were not Christians. But even amongst those who were not Christians, such as Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, they understood the Bible to be essential literature for developing a moral code and understanding Western civilization. That day has passed, unfortunately. In the past 30 years or so, it's moved from a day where it was basically assumed that everyone had some knowledge of the Bible to now the assumption that when I preach, I assume that that most people don't have a knowledge of the Bible, because that's what I see in my conversations, Uh, not specifically with you, but (laughs) just in general, and I'm sure you see the same thing as well. Part of it is that today we hold a prejudice against what is old. Isn't that so? We hold a prejudice in our culture against what is old. There's a prejudice, unfortunately, in our culture against people who are old, and therefore there's also a prejudice in our culture against books that are old. And so the idea to many people of picking up a 2,000-year-old book seems archaic or irrelevant or maybe even worse. Now, i got to say, this is not the fault of Generation Y or the millennials, is it? We don't blame them for not being taught how critical the Bible is. I look in the mirror. I think a big reason for this is that um, many of us, again, simply haven't been, been taught the handles for holding on to the overarching categories of the scripture. And because we haven't been taught the meta narrative, these handles, these, these basic themes, the Bible starts to feel a little bit random. We kind of flip through it and say, maybe I'll find something that looks good. Let's try that. Anyone? Ever done that? But if you start to see how the Bible fits together from Old to New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, from John to Isaiah, then it starts to make more sense to us. Perhaps also we've lost some of the biblical literacy because pastors simply haven't stood up and challenged people. Priests, pastors simply haven't stood up and challenged people to read and study the Bible for themselves and give people an empowerment that you can do this. And I want you to know, if I teach nothing else in the next year, it's this. You can understand the Bible for yourself. You can read it for yourself. You can feed yourself. You can understand it for yourself. The best I can do here on Sunday morning is give an appetizer, but you can feed yourself meals every single day of the week. I promise you, you can. Some of us have not been challenged. Others of us have never stepped up to the challenge. I'm not sure which one it is for for you, but this year I want to give you another challenge, give each of us another challenge to step up to see the Word of God and how it applies to our lives. The Bible was written by 40 authors over a period of 1,600 years, 66 books in all, 39 in the Old Testament. 27 in the New Testament, but every author operated under the authority of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And across its pages we see a number of very important overarching themes. So what if we as a community began to discover those themes and some key ideas together as a community? What if we said, in a non-judgmental way, wherever you are today, if you have a lot of background with the Bible or very little or no background with the Bible, Maybe you're someone today, you're just asking questions. You're a seeker. You're a skeptic. Someone else has drug you here to church today. I don't, we're so glad that you're here. Wherever you are, what if we all together as one community learned more about the most influential book in all of history? Would we be the worst for it? We'd be the better for it, no matter what you believe. Now to get there, I think it's really, really important though that we have some structure we won't get as much out of this series as we could without very disciplined structure. So I want to encourage you on a number of disciplines that you can keep, a couple different habits that you can keep to get the most out of this series. And today's just an introduction. On the back of your outline, or at the bottom of the U version notes, if you're using that on the app, you will see a number of sermon discussion questions for you to do with your family or your life group. Underneath that, you'll see this week's Bible reading plan. That's the Bible reading plan that takes you to next week's message that gives you a hint of what to expect for next week, or it just whets your appetite. It whets your appetite for getting into to the scriptures. Now, this will get us going as you read these chapters, basically one No more than two chapters a day, about five days a week. And then next to that, you'll see a number of Bible resources on that outline. Also in your handout, you'll see this Bible reading plan. It should be in every handout today. If you didn't get one, you can get it out of the information center. But this is the Bible reading plan that takes us through this entire year. And uh, this Bible reading plan is not comprehensive. It doesn't take us through the entire Bible. It just gives us one or two chapters a day, five days a week, And if you commit yourself to going through this, you will learn far more about the basic handles of the scriptures and big episodes of the scriptures than if you just read the scriptures in a haphazard fashion. Then you want to develop a system as you go. So you take that little Bible reading plan and maybe you put it in a notebook along with each of your notes from the 40 weeks of the series. And then that can become a reference point for you For the years to come. Because if you're like me, you forget things. So you go back and you hold on to the 40 weeks of study in the scriptures. you say, there's my introduction to the Bible. One of the things that I sometimes do is hole punch them and put them in one of these. And then it just turns into a book. They say, oh, I want to go to Isaiah 53. There it is. There's a great passage. Let me study that again. Another one of the things that you can do that is just so, so helpful, especially if you're now in the market for a Bible, given what I just said, is um, purchase a study Bible. You might have an app that you use on Sunday morning, and you might have a study Bible though, that you use at home. Do you ever read the Bible and you say, what was that? Come on, come on, y'all. Only me? Every hand should go up or else you're lying, okay? We've all read the Bible and said, what is that about? Well, a study Bible can help so much with that. Okay, you read a paragraph, you're not sure what it means, you read a chapter, not sure what it means. At the bottom of a good study Bible, you'll have... Numerous notes that help you explain the, social, the socio-economic, the socio-culture context that's going on, the literary context, helps you understand it for yourself. Again, you can do this. We all can do this. Uh, a couple other books that will just be quick references, uh, easy to read. Um, the Bible Jesus read, which is an introduction to the Old Testament. What was the Bible that Jesus read? It was the Old Testament. That was his Bible. Okay? this is an introduction to the Old Testament and um, understands it through 21st century eyes. And then here is another book called The Story. And it's 30 episodes. And it'll provide commentary for many of the same episodes. Not exactly the same episodes but many of the same episodes that we'll go through in this series. And it's an easy to read book by Max Licato and Randy Frazee called The Story. There's also a DVD series that you can use in your life group that goes well with the story. It's superb. So, Uh, There's a number of different resources. Last resource I'll mention is this. Okay, if you don't like reading, you can listen to the Scriptures. The YouVersion app will do that for you. And there is nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I'll vary my reading by listening to the Scriptures. And it helps me to see and hear the Word in a different way. Do you know that until about 1500, everyone only listened to the Scriptures? except for the most elite learners. Otherwise, everyone just listen to them, read the scriptures. So nothing wrong with you putting these to your, your phone and getting a, a Bible app and listening to those chapters. Again, five to ten minutes a day of reading or listening to the scriptures, followed by five minutes of praying through what you read, Could you imagine if we all committed to that, and at the end of the year, we all learned the Bible much better, we realize it's not arbitrary, it's not random, we can learn it, we can hold on to the handles. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. Let's go for it. Okay. I'm excited. I hope you are excited. Please be excited with me. A few things on this series, a few ground rules. This is a no guilt series. This is a no guilt series. If you don't know much about the Bible, if you're in that category of people that don't know the Ten Commandments, welcome. Welcome. This is a safe place to learn. This is a non-judgmental place to learn. We've all been there. And this is not going to become a Bible Answer Man contest. No way. That feeds pride. You are welcome exactly where you are right now to come in and learn. Second, this is a no-guilt reading plan. R- raise your hand with me if you've ever tried to go through the Bible in a year, through a Bible in a year reading, reading plan. Raise your hand. Put it up there. Okay, number of people in the audience. No, keep them up there. Keep them up there. There's a number of questions here. Have in the venue. I don't see you, but I imagine you. Okay, um, raise your hand. Keep your hand raised if you made it through all the way. Okay, not many of us. All right, keep your hand raised if you made it through all the, all the way without feeling guilt for missing any days. Okay, very few of us. There's something about Bible and your reading plans. They're great. And if you're planning to undo it, do it. It's wonderful. But they seem to induce this guilt and then this checkmark Christianity. And that's not what this is. If you're going to do that, that's wonderful. It can be wonderful for your spiritual development. But if you're newer to the Bible, as so many of us are, or if you feel guilty because you happen to miss a day, don't. Miss a day. And then move on to the next and receive God's love for you and keep going. Keep going with your commitment, with your discipline. Again, 10 minutes a day. And then finally, those who teach this series request your grace. I request your grace and others who come up on stage request your grace as we teach this series because it will be broad brush strokes, which means the reading plan is not comprehensive. The preaching will not be comprehensive. We might miss one of your favorite verses. Or one of your favorite chapters, I ask your forgiveness ahead of time. But through the passages that we study each Sunday morning, and even more through the readings you do each week, the Bible's unity will emerge, and we will notice at least five major themes that unify the entire Bible. Again, these five handles. Let me list them for you real quickly, though, this morning before we close. First one is God's self disclosure. He wants us to know Him. And so he's given us his revealed word because he wants us to know him. Now God reveals himself to us in many subjective ways, including answers to prayer or whispers from friends who are likewise listening to the Lord, perhaps even a dream or a vision, but those would be rare. The primary objective ways that God reveals himself to us that are unchanging and can always be counted on are two, his creation and his word his works in creation, and his word. And so if you look at Psalm 19, if you want to turn there with me, you can, dead center in your Bible, or you can read it from the screen up here. Psalm 19 speaks of these two ways that God has objectively, transcendently revealed himself to us, and we can always count on learning something about God as he's revealed himself through these two means. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God this is so good. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. God's revealed something of his character through the beauty of his majesty. And it speaks non-stop. That's why we're wise to get into creation. We're wise to get into nature on a regular basis because when you do, you say, "Ah, God, you're so powerful. God, you're so amazing. God, you're so creative. God, you're so beautiful. Who am I that you would even think of me? That's what happens. Get out. Then it goes on in verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from a honeycomb. What's that saying? It's saying get into the Bible, get into the Word, get into the laws, the decrees of the Lord, because it's... Sweeter than honey. It's from it that we gain wisdom. His decrees center our lives so we get into the Word. If you want to learn about the unchanging character of God, you don't look at Christians. If you want to learn about the unchanging character of God, you don't just look at the church. If you want to learn about the unchanging character of God, you look at His Word. And you see a personal Loving, just, holy, merciful, kind, patient, compassionate God. Second, we will learn the devastating consequences of human failure. You know how many chapters are in the Bible where human failure is not evident? Four. Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. The first two in Eden, when God creates it, and the last two, when God renews it, and He restores it. Otherwise, sin, human failure, is pervasive across all of the Bible. In one way or another, you see its tentacles. Now, why is that? Because it's pervasive in our world, isn't it? And it's pervasive in this room, and it's pervasive on this stage. We are both sinners and saints at the same time. All of us. And the Bible is the most honest and accurate record of the human condition that has ever been written. And so we will see again and again this theme of something that has gone drastically wrong and the need for a great Redeemer. And then we will see a theme that is bigger than the theme of our human failure. The third theme, though, that we'll see is the revelation of a Redeemer who is bigger than our biggest failures. Can I please get an amen? I mean, isn't it great to know we have a revelation of a Redeemer in Jesus Christ who is bigger than all of our failures? You know, it's been said, my friends, that the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. Okay? We'll see that many different times. The Old Testament looks forward to Jesus through Abraham and Joseph, through Moses and through Jeremiah. There's many, many times you see these glimpses of the Old Testament looking to Jesus in the future. The Gospels look at Jesus in the present. Okay? They're little biographies of Jesus in the present. The letters of Paul and James and Peter and John, they look Back at Jesus and how to apply Jesus to the churches. And then the book of Revelation looks forward once again to Jesus coming again in glory and making all things right. You see, the whole of it is really about one character the hero, the rescuer, the redeemer, Jesus Christ. And as we go through this series, we will repeatedly see the revelation of a redeemer who is way bigger than all of our failures. I oftentimes hear people say, I'm not sure if God could forgive me of this. And then they go on to tell me their story. And we weep together. And we pray together. And I want to bring them, and sometimes I do, I'll bring them to these two verses in Romans 5, 15 and 18. The gift of God is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, and then all of us additional men and women who followed, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So much greater is the gift of God than the trespass of men and women. Then verse 18, Consequently, just as the trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also the righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people who trust in Him. The opportunity for every person to come to Him, substantiated by grace through faith. The revelation of a Savior who is greater than all of our trespasses because God loves us, He sent His Son to redeem us. Now the response is really simple. We're going to see it over and over again throughout the Scriptures. Old and New Testaments, the blessings of faith and love is the response given to us. Maybe you've been told by someone that in the Old Testament people were saved by their good works. And the New Testament people are saved by grace through faith. Have you heard something like that? Many of us have heard that. But the truth is we will see that Abraham believed, and that was credited to him as righteousness in Genesis 15, 16, in the Old Testament, repeated again in Romans 4. We'll see Habakkuk saying the same thing in the Old Testament. The first response to God's overarching great love is faith. It's belief. And then from that, it's love. Now, of course, the the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith is articulated more clearly. It becomes crystal clear in the New Testament, but we'll see it at many, many different times and places in the Old Testament Scriptures as well. This is so helpful for me because I sometimes get overwhelmed by the great puzzle called life. You know? You know what I'm saying, Angel? I mean, sometimes I get overwhelmed by putting together all these different puzzle pieces of parenting, parenting. And being a good father, and keeping up with the sports, and politics, and social media, and church, and relationships, and you know, where do they all fit in place? And it just feels overwhelming. To which a really simple statement of God loves you, and He's coming for you, and He wants you, He desires you, and the response is to roll down the window and allow in the unchanging wind of the love of God in your life. And respond to that with faith and love. I tell you, that kind of response offered to us is really refreshing when you're looking at all the different puzzle pieces of life which at times seem so overwhelming. And so we'll see that again and again in this series. And finally, as I wrap up here in just a moment, is the expansion of the eternal kingdom of God. God's kingdom is at hand with us right now. The kingdom of God is an overarching message, particularly from the prophets of the Old Testament and then throughout the New Testament, in which Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God, simply defined as this, it's the rule and the reign of God in the lives of men, women, and children, and in social structures that conform to Jesus. It's the rule and the reign of God in our lives and in social structures that conform to Jesus. Jesus. In other words, it's wherever you see something, you say, ooh, that's Jesus. Ooh, that's what Jesus would want done in the world. That's the kingdom of God. And this is the primary topic that Jesus speaks on. The prophets speak to it frequently as well. The kingdom of God happens. It is among us when a problem drinker puts down the bottle and gets into community and learns that his identity is actually in Christ. The kingdom of God has come when that happens. The kingdom of God has come when a young child down in kids' ministries downstairs makes an embrace of Jesus. And they realize that God has come for them as well. And no matter how unstable their home environment is, they are loved right here on Sunday morning. The kingdom of God has come there. The kingdom of God has come when a church says, you know what, we're not just going to be about ourselves, but we're going to look out to the world and we're going to start with a single village called Magange, Colombia. And we're going to celebrate by sponsoring 330 kids and personally investing in them. And then next year, in 2019, we're going to build a church and have a bunch of short-term mission projects down there because we care about them every bit as much as we care about ourselves. The kingdom of God has come there as well. The kingdom of God has come whenever a man sacrifices for his wife. The kingdom of God has come whenever a man says, I'm going to be a servant leader, a courageous dad for my kids, to give them example of what real godliness looks like. The kingdom of God has come there. The kingdom of God has come when a woman says, I'm going to build up my man rather than tear down my man. The kingdom of God has come there as well. Friends, Jesus invites us. Be participants in his glorious, eternal, ever spreading kingdom. The basic arch, the the basic narrative goes like this God created out of love, and he made a garden, and people messed it up. And yet, God said, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. Keep tending to the garden. Make it better. I'm going to give you good work. Keep tending to the garden. Make it better. And expand my good news wherever you go. Bless others wherever you go and whatever you do. But you won't restore Eden. The kingdom of God has come, and yet it's not completely here. Christ will one day return. And then the eternal kingdom of God will be finally consummated. We're a part of it today, expanding it today, but we won't ever completely restore Eden. Christ himself will do that and it ends with Revelation 21 and 22 where there is an absence of all sin and horror and human failor- failure and he lives and reigns and we do with him now and forevermore. That's how the story ends. It sounds pretty good to me. Are you excited for this series? Yes. I'm looking forward to this series. Let's do this as we close. Let's stand up here together in this room and in the venue and we will read one final verse before uh, the worship team comes up on stage, both here and in the venue. And uh, I just want to remind you, as we read this verse, from a turning point in Israel's history, as they go into their promised land, that the sharp edge of every great movement of God begins with this, a commitment to His Word, and a posture of humility that says... Bring it on, God. Bring it on. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that's what we're going to read here from Joshua, as God spoke to Joshua and then to Israel as they received the promised land. Would you join me? Let's read this out loud together. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be. Amen. Amen.